Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And today we're tackling Resident Evil again. (laughs) (laughs) Resident Evil again is not the official name. What is the official name of this uh, Resident Evil story that we're covering today? It is a Netflix original anime series. It is Resident Evil Infinite Darkness. We thought we were done, but once again, Capcom pulls us back into the world of survival horror once more <laughs> it's like it's like a zombie they just don't stay dead do they <laughs> <laughs> classic <laughs> so this came out uh in july but the hat you know as we had only done resident evil the final chapter the last live action resident evil movie we decided well to date should say we decided to uh, just give a little bit of extra breathing room before we tackled this CGI opus. And it is not a film, is it? It is four episodes. I think they call it limited series in the industry, don't they? Yeah, and I think there was a bit of uncertainty as to what this was when it was first announced. Is it a movie (laughs) or is it a series? Because uh, prior to this, they've had three full-length CG movies, and mm. this seemed very much a continuation of that. But no, this turns out to be a series, and I do kind of wonder for why. I wonder yes. whether Netflix has like a movie budget and a TV series budget, and mm. maybe there's like some kind of reason that that's the case. There's maybe sort of a deal which determines how oh, this comes under that animated series yes. banner, etc. Because it's only, as you say, yeah, four episodes, each one roughly sort of 24, 25, 26 minutes or so. So to watch them all back to back is about the length of one of the pre-existing Resident Evil CG movies. So yeah, a big question mark on that. But, you know, that might affect our, our judgment of the of the of uh, the offering that we're tackling today uh, later on. Yeah, I definitely had that thought at the end of the first episode. And FYI, because it's new, we're not going to do the spoilers up front. We're going to have a little chat and then let you know when spoilers are happening. But the first episode kind of ends in a sort of non-point of the story. And I thought, oh, this this feels a lot like a film which has just been chopped indiscriminately in four places. Not as bad as like ITV4 when they'll cut halfway through an action scene or a sentence to get <laughs> some adverts for like more products from Love Island. But uh, still, yeah, I got like the confusion was understandable whether or not this was a film or not. And I think it was sort of compacted as well by the other Resident Evil series coming to netflix the live action version which i think since we recorded final chapter did they had they announced the cast in between i think so 
I think I so. I don't know if we've mentioned this. <laughs> but anyway, they announced Lance Reddick to uh, portray Albert Wesker, oh, which yeah. I think is excellent casting because I had this... I, I did like a very tiny Twitter rant thread where mm. obviously the sort of question as to you picture video game Albert Wesker, you picture Lance Reddick, who, you know, the praises of whom we had sung only recently in the Castlevania Netflix series. Mm-hmm. And obviously they don't look alike, but the fact that people were getting so precious about the Albert Wesker character and <laughs> It was just like baffled me because he's like this, the idea that anyone thinks he's nothing but like a kitschy, campy supervillain. And believe me, I love Albert Wesker. He is a moustache short of Waluigi, basically, isn't he? Effectively. So (laughs) the the idea that, yeah, and and in a way, like the interpretation of Albert Wesker in the Paul W.S. Anderson movies is not too far away from how I view him which is just like a bit silly (laughs) and a bit like pretty sort of like goofy character to try and realize on screen. So I think it's just like, if you're going to pick someone to play this, you know, rather absurd villain, you might as well like go for someone who's actually a good actor (laughs) and, you know, who actually can bring the kind of gravitas to the role, which is like lacking in, even the video games interpretation, you know, do something interesting with it because we don't need another slick-backed, blonde-haired, sunshade-wearing, you know, uh, chuckling like, um, villain. Is like Jason in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Although I he's mean, more of a Krauser character. He is, like, he is Krauser. Yeah, from the looks anyway, of him we'll, anyway. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to those guys in a bit. I mean, this whole thing makes me... I mean, watching this film, sorry, watching this limited series, and the fact that uh, the Albert Wesker show we've been talking about is... <laughs> the Albert been, Wesker show. <laughs> I wish it was this, like, a chat show. <laughs> Late <laughs> and, night with Albert Wesker. And who would be, like, that guy on the pianos? It would probably be, I will say, William Birkin, but in full, like, monster mode tinkling the ivories on his Casio keyboard. With, with his giant band. monster hands. Yes, exactly. He um, can't speak for shit no more, but he's got a wonderful uh, ability on the keys. But <laughs> um, the Wesker show I'm talking about is basically known as the Wesker Kids show, isn't it? And we're speaking about this with like no knowledge at all about anything, but it just seems to be the Wesker Kids show because that's who they've cast. Yeah, it's it's meant to be set between two timelines where there's like New Raccoon City and the events that preceded that and, mm. uh, you know, sort of like younger versions and then grown up versions and, and all sorts. So, yeah, it remains to be seen naturally. But um, and, and, and this yeah. film, sorry, I keep saying film. This is games on films. It's not games on limited series. In this story, story's good. In Infinite Darkness, it's like mostly... A mediation on early 2000s American politics, sort of <laughs> George W. Bush era politics, but cru- crucially in a world where George W. Bush never existed. So I don't know. It's like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> um, I'm not saying I just like that. I just, it just, 
it does seem to be that Capcom in the extended Resident Evil media and franchise, I think they just don't quite know, still don't know what people want from Resident Evil. And I know what I want. I want zombies and, and creepiness. And I think my favorite parts of this series was when it delved into the horror more than people sitting in a room like the over office built within the uncanny valley of people in suits talking about politics. I think it's, yes, Resident Evil is to different people, different things. And the, the idea of these kind of CG movies and, and infinite darkness is, you know, I, I don't see how any of these projects are to bring in newcomers. You know, the, the series itself is big enough and sustainable enough you know, to not have these things. It's clearly just here's something we can do, which, you know, a spin-off material, extra lore. It's the equivalent of having a tie-in novel or a little bit of extended branding IP merchandise to an extent. Um, it's a little bit tricky because obviously there's some side stories and stuff which sound like it's not essential and then it plays into mainline games. So things like... I mean, apart from Resident Evil Gaiden uh, on the Game Boy Color, but, um, you know, you have like Resident Evil Revelations, Resident Evil Revelations 2, and they sort of, you know, don't sound like they're essential titles, but in playing them, I've like understood a bit more of some of the activities and the mainline titles, etc. So if you want to get juicy and nitty gritty with the conspiracy aspects and, you know, that kind of story, and as you're saying, a lot of this is taken up with conspiracy and military operations and government cover-ups this is what i guess infinite darkness is is meant to give you if that's but it's not really giving you the kind of as much of the creepiness and the zombies or even the action necessarily because i guess they would think like oh you can play the games for that this is to give you all the fleshing out what would have probably just been a couple of documents you find sitting on <laughs> someone's desk. Vibe. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely... I mean, there's a moment where you see a photo of Ashley, the president's daughter, in the president's office. And, like, I was brought right back to Resident Evil 4, where you play Leon protecting Ashley. And I was like, my heart fluttered a little bit. It's like, oh, good time. But I remember this... this I guess Leon's relationship with the president is something which is only kind of hinted at in that game. So there's something to be said about seeing it acted out. I don't even know where I'm going with that thought. I'm trying to be positive. I mean, thing is, I have read one or two positive reviews of this and they do seem to really gel with the politics. So it can't be um, denied that this was released in the sort of middle of a pandemic. I say middle of a pandemic because... Who knows how long things are going to last. And, you know, obviously this was made a few, this is a few years in the making and this review was clicking with the politics and it was especially saying, gosh, to release at this time where it talks about virus spreads and and maybe uh, the culpability of certain governments in this. They say it felt a bit on the nose. And so, or depending on your politics uh very timely <laughs> <laughs> um it's funny though i all i read 
that uh, on, on PC Gamer, the creators of Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, I say that loosely, I don't know where this missive came from, but apparently the it was asked that reviewers don't focus on the politics in their reviews, which seems a very weird thing to request, considering how much this film slash limited series delights in talking politics. I think it's one of those cases where you have all these announcements from studios to the point of parody uh, now where they'll set a game in like a sort of post-truth era and they'll talk about fake news or they'll, you know, set it in a dystopia and they'll comment on Brexit and all this kind of stuff. And then they'll be like, uh, this game isn't political. You know, they'll like play <laughs> around with all these concepts and just actually not take any stand. Make up your because own they mind. don't because they don't want to alienate, you know, the gamers who will buy these AAA titles and then as soon as they get a sniff of woke politics, they'll be like, Oh, I can't believe they put politics in this game. It's just like all the people sort of complaining about Robocop being too political or how dare you politicize alien or aliens or you know any of these things where it's just like it's there it's always been there so games developers do these announcements where they're just kind of like oh yeah I know like it's set in a a crumbling uh, communist state or whatever but it's not political (laughs) (laughs) I know it's I mean I'm a big tra- time trekkie and the, the amount of cognitive dissidence between certain quote unquote fans of Star Trek beggars belief when they say it's like, it's, oh, they've made Star Trek all political. And I'm like, hello? Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess Infinite Darkness, it plays around with these com- concepts. So it focuses very much on US government conspiracy. It focuses on trying to secretly instigate a war with china there's like cyber hacking there's um attacks in territorial waters it deals with middle eastern conflict i I guess not middle eastern conflict it's somewhere between china and the middle east it looks exactly like the middle east but then they show a map where it's bordering on china and yeah, like, um, but, you know, huh. like, if you go far west of China, you do obviously get into, you know, the start of the kind of Silk Road and Muslim countries. The West has to meet the East at, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's playing around with all these issues, but it's using it as a backdrop for the action, but at the same time, really foregrounding that backdrop, if that makes sense. It's like, all yeah. of it is talk, but none of it is commentary and it it made me sort of like think about how particularly in in this and i guess you know so this this infinite darkness is set in between resident evil 4 and 5 Mm. so you mentioned ashley graham the president's daughter who is you know who you're having to save in resident Evil 4 as leon and leon in this is and i guess maybe to a certain extent in say resident evil 6 um because i think he's working for a president still at that point, but I've only played the demo. He is basically like the horror Jack Bauer Mm. in that he's kind of like, you know, does the president's business, does these like impossible missions. And here there's like, particularly like foregrounded this like flavor of terrorism and conflict, but 
it just so happens that every now and then he has to shoot like a giant monster <laughs> as opposed to you know another terrorist yeah it makes you wonder how uh, leon would cope with what jack bauer has to go through and whether or not jack bauer could cope with what leon has to go through <laughs> see jack bauer loves his torture but can you torture a zombie i don't think so so nah they just um... keep coming <laughs> I think before we get any further, we need to actually do our video box. And so we contacted Netflix. <laughs> they very kindly sent us this, uh, what is it? It's like a VHS video box. Got. I really appreciate the detail. Do you want to describe the box to me, Rory? Yeah, but it's it's because it's like a VHS TV series release. There's only like two episodes on one tape. So yes. you have to get the second tape to get the next two episodes. Just like how... It, how it was back in the day. Be kind, rewind. It's it's a bit of annoying that every time I watch a Netflix show, I have to rewind it for the next person. But <laughs> I think it's just your civic duty, I suppose. <laughs> We're doing a bit. Anyway, <laughs> Here, uh, what what is the synopsis for Resident Evil Infinite Darkness? In 2006, there were traces of improper access to secret presidential files found in the White House's network. American federal agent Leon S. Kennedy is among the group invited to the White House to investigate this incident. But when the lights suddenly go out, Leon and the SWAT team are forced to take down a horde of mysterious zombies. Mysterious zombies? Yeah, these ones are mysterious. No, I'm going to make no- mysterious, making a note. Mysterious. <laughs> Meanwhile, Terror Save staff member Claire Redfield encounters a mysterious image drawn by a youth in a country she visited while providing support to refugees. Haunted by this drawing, which appears to be a victim of viral infection, Claire starts her own investigation. The next morning, Claire visits the White House to request the construction of a welfare facility. There she has a chance reunion with Leon and uses the opportunity to show him the boy's drawing. Leon seems to realise some sort of connection between the zombie outbreak at the White House and the strange drawing, but he tells Claire that there is no relation and leaves. In time, these two zombie outbreaks in distant countries lead to events that shape the nation to its very core. Hmm. <laughs> I feel like, because we're not in spoiler territory yet, I feel that's a a lie at the, at the <laughs> end of that. Um... Never gotten clearance to land that fast before. You must be special. Leon? Claire? Could you take a look at something? A little boy drew them. I can't get anyone to go on record. Doesn't that look a lot like Raccoon City? I gotta go. Don't do anything stupid. Hey, Leon. That outfit doesn't suit you. Let's get the president to the bunker. Even remotely hostile gets a headshot. So, what did you feel? What was in your jellies at the end of watching Resident Evil Infinite Darkness? Would you would you recommend it? Do you think? Um. I've only seen one of the CG movies that exists. Um, I will be interested to revisit 
that and then see the others in the context of this new iteration because it seems like they're kind of made by different companies um but they they're still official capcom products they're still canon to the resident evil universe i was going to ask about canon because i mentioned in our mass effect review how that was the only time we've done like a canon story but you're telling me all these resident evil cgi films are canon apparently so but i don't think they necessarily i don't think they necessarily you know introduce characters which then appear in later games possibly i'm not sure um i don't know whether they you know show up in terms of files or records you find in the games too but they you know the the main series producer hiroyuki kobayashi produces the movies and they have the sort of capcom seal of approval in that respect so i don't think they're meant to necessarily contradict anything that exists in in resident evil but you know those games contradict themselves all the time and Mm. paul w sanderson movies contradict themselves as well so yeah i i I, I'd be interested to sort of see those in the context of this because Infinite Darkness is, I don't think, half bad, but I wouldn't say it was anywhere close to essential to anyone or even Resident Evil fans, unless you're like full-on Leon and Claire completists. Mm. I I... I found elements of it surprisingly strong and i found other stuff just pretty weak and i think it's it's one of those things where and we get this a fair amount on games and film it's one of those pieces of entertainment which just wash over you and leave very little of substance (laughs) behind because it's just the, the the interesting stuff are like are tiny pockets of interest the rest of what we have is fine but <laughs> it's it's very hard to get in any way excited about what it presents there's like a little joke here i liked there's like a little twist to a character which i enjoyed but generally speaking um i think because of all this like heavy it's not even heavy, like the political stuff, the military operation stuff isn't heavy in the sense that it's like complicated or, you know, dense or filled with all this intrigue. It's just, it's it's, it's a lot of waffle <laughs> when a lot of it's just like, yeah, okay, I get it. Can we just like see another mutant or something? And then we can just get on with our lives. Hmm. it's funny how you say you didn't think it was half bad because i watched the first two out of four episodes and i was so goddamn bored so <laughs> bored and i and last night i was supposed to watch episodes two and three and i was i just i just i, I want to do something with my life uh and i ended up just checking my phone all checking my phone all evening and doing not, not really anything but it was telling that i i wanted to just do anything except watch the next two episodes <laughs> but when episode three came along which i watched this morning with my with my porridge i um uh, it perked me up a bit because i think that was the one even though the third episode is quite exposition heavy it kind of went into like the horror aspect as i mentioned 
And then I, I watched the fourth one during the day. And then I went back and, and rewatched episodes one and two again because I had forgotten them as they were so boring. And funnily enough, watching episodes one and two, which is they're also quite flashback heavy, I understood now how things connected more and it was more interesting. But, you know, it's pretty bad when I only really appreciate it after watching it one and a half times <laughs> um it's just so funny that i think you touched upon it a moment ago it's political but it doesn't have anything really interesting to say you know um mm. it's sort of walking in these waters but it doesn't seem to have much of an opinion beyond the usual resident evil things where mega corporations and and global conspiracies need to be stopped <laughs> and you know, the characters aren't particularly interesting. I mean, Leon is seems to be just the most generic hero ever in this. And it's a bit sad how he is just is like a Jack Bauer style hero. He he mentions at one point how he tells his backstory to um Jason, one of the members of his sort of team, and he's telling him, you know, I was a rookie cop, I came to Raccoon City, the fact that I was late saved my life. And it's like, oh yeah, it's just it's cool about when when your hero is like a rookie cop um but you go to this film and he's i think he at one point he shoots zombies in the dark he shoots a zombie behind his back when he's not looking he's just too cool and he's just too cool <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, put, he puts that jacket on and then that my the needle on my coolometer just breaks goes right through um claire by contrast she's just done so dirty in this she just lives in the b plot and I yeah claire... she's in she's it's definitely leon a claire b exactly uh, scenario i and i was i'm one of the few people probably who played claire's mission first in resident evil 2 and of course she's the star of resident evil code veronica i've always i'm a, I'm a claire stan um maybe i just like red leather jackets as much as she does but she really does nothing yes she's doing investigating the same thing but when she finally arrives i mean she only meets leon again really in the fourth episode and it's sort of like fancy meeting you here again <laughs> <laughs> i think basically her her story i mean unless leon wasn't there to pull her ass out of the acid um well let's not get into spoilers i know but yeah <laughs> That's just that's a that's a that's a common phrase pulling your ass out the acid. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about, um, but yeah, when Le you know, with Leon Leon shows up and um, he just basically does everything. <laughs> uh, having also recently played Resident Evil Revelations two, and she's one of the main characters in that, and it was nice to play as her again. Definitely in this, like, despite the fact that yes, they they teamed up in Re in Resident Evil Degeneration, which was the first of the CG movies. This is like, oh great, Leon and Claire back together. And they basically exchange a couple of conversations and that's like the screen time and the rest of the time it's Leon doing all the action and it's Claire who's just really sidelined and she's just been dumped with like... And I think it's like a very common thing that what do we do with the female character? Oh, investigative reporter kind of thing mm -hmm. like so they can do all the solving and sleuthing but not have any action or fun stuff happen and like yeah. they and I, I know like you know how the character has evolved and 
she you know does this humanitarian aid and all this kind of thing and you know that's nice but it's 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 a bit wishy-washy and i think it's and it falls into that trope of a caring woman character again yeah Um, it just i mean it'd be really interested if it's just like oh no claire is the badass who's saving the president's life and it's leon who's out in the field looking at pictures mm. that kids have drawn and just you know asking for the cops to help him out at least she's not looking for chris still i mean that would be funny <laughs> hey claire how you doing looking for chris again <laughs> still i'm following him on facebook but you know i'm always just missing him you know, it's cool that they brought back the voice actors for the most recent Resident Evil 2 remake mm-hmm. uh, to play Leon and Claire. Um, there's a little bit of like fan annoyance because, you know, in the timeline or whatever, there's the Leon voice actor from Resident Evil 4 and the CG movies should have done the voice here <laughs> instead of the younger That's ones. so from fucking two, but, anal. Jesus but, Christ. You know. <laughs> he sounded like a Leon to me. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, he sounded like a Leon. He looks like a Leon, buddy. It's Leon. He looks. He sounds like a man who only could see half a script because his long hair was drooping <laughs> over one of his eyes. <laughs> um, we'll get stuck in in a, in a moment into the sort of nitty gritty, but it is a bit of a shame what they've kind of come up with. Um, you know, you had all this time, <laughs> yeah, all this money and energy and whatever, and it's just like. No, this is the story that we're burning to tell with these two characters. And it's just, you know, why? (laughs) Resident Evil, why? With so much Resident Evil content, I see little need to watch this, sadly. Um, It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it it follows quite a few familiar beats even, you know, like... I think there's like one fairly unique monster sequence in episode two, but like everything else is sort of shankily animated zombies. I mean, again, this is one of those weird C. I mean, we're living in a, in blessed times when CGI of this quality is on a TV show, but at the same mm. time, it's still slightly uncanny valley. It's it, it moves weirdly. <laughs> like, I think it's 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 strange because the from shot to shot it'll be really good or a bit wonky like there's amazing textures environments and lighting and stuff but then there'll be some things where like the 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 movements is really like awkward and stiff all of a sudden and i know that some of it was like performance capture but maybe it's just like they didn't give another pass on it there's like one character i think he's like the um speech writer for the president ryan and it's just like where I was watching it with my wife and she was like, where have his shoulders gone? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. it's like, it, I think like it, either they were like animating someone who's it's like a very beautifully rendered version of a human who's wearing a suit that just does not fit them, mm. um, which could speak to the character. But yeah, there's just like a few moments where it's it's like a bit stiff here, a bit awkward there. Was, but was he was the speechwriter kind of a heavy guy? Yeah. Yeah, I I wonder if he was like a very thin motion capture artist, but depicting a rather large man, and that's why he moves weird. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, was, I would like yeah. to see now test footage of like quite overweight people doing motion capture for like Leon Kennedy, <laughs> and, just, and just see him, uh, I guess, waddle through the Oval Office. 
I speak as rather a heavy person myself. I can say that. Um, <laughs> you have these kind of clearly high production values um, to an extent, and it was animated by a company called Quibico, who I'm not sure what else they've done because they're quite a re- relatively recent uh, animation studio. Um, but it was produced by TMS Entertainment, who are a very long established. Uh, Japanese animation studio doing stuff like Detective Conan, Lupin the Third, and Pan Man. Um, but the director himself, I, I think this is his first animated project. It's a director, uh, Eiichiro Hasumi, who mainly does manga and uh, adaptations, live action manga ab- adaptations, or big screen versions of of pre existing TV shows. The only one of which I've seen is Assassination Classroom which is based on a manga which has this kind of giant yellow tentacle octopus thing with a smiley face who is going to destroy Earth, but uh, he then teaches a class of school students uh, ways to try and kill him. It's kind of a comedy. (laughs) Um, It was all right, but it was one of those films where it's just like, clearly I'm missing a bunch because... I haven't read the manga, and also this is just half the story because it ends abruptly and there's a sequel, so oh. never mind, I haven't seen that. This film does replicate the look of of Resident Evil games of that time, you know. This is a prequel, really, to Resident Evil 5, and it's got very similar look, which I can't say I like terribly much, so that's, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a I mark didn't... against it. I didn't like that look, but it does make me wonder what a more stylized Resident Evil game or story would look like, but yeah. I guess we'll never know. So let's now delve into the infinite darkness of spoiler territory. Um, what is, what's, what's, what's the biggest spoiler we could say? <laughs> <laughs> it was a defense secretary all along. <laughs> <laughs> Credits. <laughs> they rip off the mask and it's Defence Secretary Wilson <laughs> <laughs> at the fairground Anyways, oh you're doing Scooby Doo yes what, okay. what, what did you think I was doing you're pulling masks off I didn't say pesky kids sorry I didn't That's the thing. it's a two step reference that isn't it I have to I have to. I can't go straight to the haunted uh, fairground. I have to do the kids bit. I apologise. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit slow on the uptake on classic Hanna Barbera references. I like you said classic. Some would say dated. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that all Hanna Barbera? I went to see Space Jam uh, two. Um, Infinite Space. Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, which is actually technically a video game movie, but um, I think we, we may sidestep that one. <laughs> Let's get back to Resident Evil. <laughs> uh, a new legacy. <laughs> <laughs> I think the way to go about sort of tackling Infinite Darkness, for for those who've, who've seen it and want to hear our spoilery thoughts, or for those who probably don't want to bother watching it, is just to... Get kind of like the, the the general overview, and and you know it's kind of told through flashbacks and and revelations and all this kind of stuff. But basically, what it boils down to 
is back in October 2000, a military operation with a group called Mad Dogs goes somewhat awry. They encounter bioweapons, and it turns out this this whole kind of civil war conflict in this in this state was basically a testing ground for these bioweapons, which have been developed on the side with a pharmaceutical company and Major Wilson, who eventually becomes the Defense Secretary to the President of the United States. So there's this big kind of cover-up because no one is meant to have survived the operation, uh, apart from the the mad dogs who who made it out. But there's this whole kind of hush-hush cover-up. Since then, the surviving members of this mad dogs group have all committed suicide, bar one, who uh, Claire discovers later on, who's shotgun their head off a little bit, arriving a little bit too late. Um, and Jason, who is um, this agent who is teams up with Leon and a couple of other agents to investigate the cyber hacking in the White House. Yeah, so so that's Jason's the, that's, a former mad dog as well, I think. Yeah, so Jason's, Jason's this former mad dog. It turns out they've all been infected and they're taking these syringes in order to suppress the um, infection. And the idea is that they want to kind of blow this whole cover up wide open. And there's all these kind of like hurdles and loops they have to get through in order to, to do so. And there's a lot of like weird disagreements between characters about the best way to present this cover up. Um, and and you know go leak it to the press or not leak it to the press or spread fear or spread terror is like this whole uh, big mm. sort of you know it's 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 this kind of, it's one of those things where there's just like hollow statements yeah. which they've somehow turned them into like catchphrases for the characters but like the and title then it just sequence becomes... the title sequence like has like maps of fictional countries and then the word fear circled then an arrow travels from that to the word terror which is circled and it's like yeah it's uh, basically just like yoda in yeah. the phantom fear leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering it's one of those things where i get what the characters are trying to do sort of but i sort of don't get the justification of like how they're going about it and it all just seems to boil down to like a disagreement of how do we stop the baddies but it is it's just one of those things where it's it's more complicated than it needs to be it it's sort of it's one of those things which assumes muddying motivation is Mm. an easy way to make things more complex and nuanced rather than black and white yeah but it's it's just like just it's more satisfying if you just have, oh, that's the bad guy. We have to stop them rather than just like this very kind of surface level internal conflict, which just isn't sold effectively enough for me to really get to grips with it. I mean, it sounds to me that you're having a problem with the character's motivations. And I I agree. And that's what makes things so confusing. I mean, what jason wants is very simple he um feels that he was left to die by the u.s government and the u.s government has all these terrible secrets and he wishes to expose these secrets but they sort of tell us his story through um flashbacks which are also out of sequence you mentioned how claire discovers 
like uh, one of his crew committed suicide in their house. But did you remember that we have a flash? We have pretty much the same scene, but Jason discovering his friend had committed suicide. But that, I think I said that's at the very end of episode one. And yes, it's like a dream, and like, but you you don't. It's hint. You don't actually. You don't actually see the suicide person. You see Jason see something in a house, and then he drops all the. It was called um, inhibitor. The inhibitor. Yeah. But it's it's Zombrex from um, <laughs> Dead Rising to stop people turning into zombies. So anyway, they they show this scene which doesn't really make sense, and it was only when I went back and watched the episodes a second time that I was like, oh, that's what connects, and that's why he's doing it. But it just it 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 doesn't help. It 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 just confuses on first watching. It won't do you any good. They'll just cover it up like they always do. And you know how good they are at covering things up. There, the bad guys here. Where's your proof? That's what we're here for. And you're gonna help us get it. You want my help? You just killed a sub full of people. Remember when I told you about terror? It starts with fear. You cultivate it, you watch it spread. And then, then you've got terror. You can tell him all about it at your court-martial. So you're not gonna help us then? Nope. When Jason and Shen Mei kill... I think they kill a submarine full of people from the US Navy. But... well, again, I'm, you can hear I'm struggling because at the same time, there's a zombie rat attack. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> loads of loads of rats are on this ship, and did they help me out here, Roy? <laughs> I actually not give. I haven't given it a thought. The zombie rat attack in the submarine is clearly the best bit of the four episodes. Would you agree? It's like the best zombie attack. I think it's 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 one of the things where like oh this couldn't really happen in a game because it'd be really annoying to play. So you know, anytime you have tiny enemies like mm. scurrying around is like a pain in the ass. So I I enjoyed the zombie rat encounter because it was like disgusting. It was gross. Leon at one point says he wish he had some cheese, which is a fine line. Oh, but also at the quit, same he does time, quip really inappropriately though, doesn't he? <laughs> um, but like when I was watching that sequence, it was like, you know, at the same time the submarine is about to self-destruct, and it was just like I said to myself, "I'm glad I'm not playing this segment because it would be really <laughs> nerve-wracking." <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I, it's it's good, but like. I'm trying now to what what stumbled me just then. I was trying to work out: did someone put zombie rats on the boat, or did they infect a loads of rats? Is there that many rats on? We're told it's like the most futuristic submarine with uh, top of the line, top of the class stealth technology and, and shite. 
Who, who put the rats there? Was it was it Wilson? The, I, I, I defense because I do you do because I think what's happening is that Jason and Shen Mei are being uh, paid by Wilson to do his dirty work. Yes. They seem aware of what's happening, so it is them expressly, who unleash... definitely Jason. Jason is because he's he's addicted or necessarily addicted to the inhibitor, lest he turns yeah. into a zombie. So I think it's it's you know the the zombie attack on the White House uh, in the first episode, which I thought was a, a fairly slick bit of action. Actually, I think like the lighting and and stuff was really cool. Um, I liked and it when somebody kicked a zombie onto a chandelier somehow. Like that was boots odd. him. <laughs> he's, he's introduced like this is actually there's there's a group of four. Uh there's Leon, Jason, Shen Mei, and I wanna say Roger. What's he called, Roger? Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> he might have said he might have said Roger in like call sign. Roger, Roger, yes, over yeah, and maybe. out. And you were just like, oh, he's called Roger then. Yeah, but Ro- Roger. Patrick is like, he's a curly-haired nobody of a character. Uh, I did quite like it when we are first introduced to Patrick. He's hearing about Leon's adventures and people are, he says, uh, Leon was just lucky. He's no hero. And then at the end of the fourth episode, he's full on fanboying and he's saying, yeah. you fucking saved the world. And Leon's like, oh, just lucky. So, oh, somebody read both ends of their scripts. I like it because sometimes that sort of thing doesn't get picked up. But anyway, P- Patrick, despite being like a literal note, he looks like Callan Fodder. He talks like Callan Fodder, but he he's got very powerful legs. He does not skip leg day, and he kicks <laughs> that zombie into a chandelier, and the sh- and the zombie then falls onto its knees and does sort of like a, a waddle walk, like he's a uh, like um, John Lucasamo in. Uh, Moulin Rouge. That's my reference. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I don't know. I was a bit distracted by the awkwardness, but you know, zombies in the White House. That's that's always fun, isn't it? But I think the the zombies attack then was that was Wilson's plan. Yes, and I don't know whether it's Jason because he's got the virus inside him. He. You know, when we see the first zombie appear, like he was the one who bit him, uh, and then he what, caused Jason the bit the zombie. No, well, Jason bit the, the Jason guy bit who man. then turned into the zombie because yes. he can pass the infection. Oh, don't so, okay. Well, I th- I think so. So because like at the very end, when he's in spoilers, full yeah. tyrant mode. Yeah, he's sort of the contractually mandated uh, ripping of the shirt and turning into a monster. Um, but yeah, he bites Wilson. Yes, and then Wilson then needs uh, the syringe, the inhibitor, in a kind of like post credits. Well, not post credits, but like in a wrap up sequence. He's just going around giving people love bites. But then does he do that to a rat, or does he bring a bag of rats and then it's like she bites them all? Yeah, he was just looking around the submarine. What could I bite? <laughs> I mean, maybe there are easier ways to infect rats than just giving them all a little nibble. But <laughs> I mean, I, I hold my hands up. I don't know enough about what happens on the submarine. Maybe they just have a lot of rats. Uh, maybe they all escape the kitchen. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Rat Bloody carry hell. again. <laughs> or just oh dear me, don't want to go there. So yeah, obviously we got a bit confused. <laughs> confused there, and but like simultaneously, while these zombie rats are attacking Leon. 
he deals with them like by electrocuting him on the floor and it's always fortunate in these films when the electricity only goes so long because actually there's several moments when leon is re- rescues himself by grabbing onto the nearest pipe and we never see the connective scene where he someone sort of gets a, a big stick and he grabs onto it <laughs> I, I guess leon never skips arm day then he doesn't yeah one folk i mean like i've suddenly got an image of chris redfield whose resident evil five arms are like dis- distractingly huge the stuff of boulder punching legend mm. while the zombie rat attack is happening shen may and jason are are knifing people and we let we, we cut to a scene later on they arrive at shanghai because they're going to shanghai because i think that's where they're tracing or ostensibly tracing the hacking signal but we find out that jason and shen may have their own reasons for going to shanghai and it's not a holiday it's not a holiday um but like you know 400 people do they say is it 400 people down that submarine or am I just pulling I don't thing? know. But like Leon is like, he killed others. No, I'm thinking of a Star Trek episode I just watched, actually. 400 could. <laughs> Leon's like, you killed 400 Cardassians? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about, Leon? No, but they have this sort of rather polite conversation where Leon is saying, oh, so I guess you killed all those people. So what's your, what's your story? And I just find that really fucking strange. I think I don't like Leon so much in this. Because he's kind of like sort of a government stooge. Like he's he's told flat out, we're here to uncover a conspiracy because we think somebody in the US government started a civil war and killed loads of people and spread zombies for no good reason. And Leon's like, well, you're being a traitor, though. <laughs> but that I think that's what makes this a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, like... Jason and Shen Mei, they knifed all these submarine officers, even though they're going to explode the submarine anyway. So it's a bit like, talk about overkill. But I think what I like is kind of how this ends in the sense that you have Leon and Claire reuniting, but they have a difference of opinion about what happens next. So the reason they're in Shanghai is because Shen Mei's brother was someone who got infected in this in the conflict and he was like a kind of like secret army soldier test operative you know even though he's kind of like on life support but kind of undead life support in shanghai uh they managed to extract this chip which has like which was will be the evidence that will be needed to blow this whole thing wide open chip monitoring his vitals yeah but uh it, it comes to the point where leon ends up with the chip and Claire is like, great, give me the chip because I'm going to go to the press and reveal everything and expose the government conspiracy. And Leon is a bit like, nah, and just, (laughs) I got a good job. Keeps it. And then that like, obviously creates a bit of tension (laughs) between them because Claire has been working so hard to, to reveal this. And Leon's like, you know, presidential ass kisser at this point. My B plot was for nothing. And she and she sort of reiterates a phrase that she said earlier on about his dapper suit and says, that outfit doesn't suit you. And it's just like, I like the fact that it makes you kind of like think 
you know, question the character of Leon, you know, because usually you would think with these kind of tales, oh yeah, like government conspiracy wide open, like woohoo. But he's like, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a government man now. And mm. I'm going to have to, you know, he kind of says like, I'll stop this, but kind of wants to do it internally. So no one gets wind of it. Um, and that's why there's this clash between him and Jason. Jason's kind of like, I want to go out to this big press conference being held above this underground secret laboratory with thousands of super army bioweapon soldiers. And they'll let, take one look at me like I'm Shrek or something and be like, uh, ogre. Um, <laughs> and all the pitchforks come out from underneath the press's chairs. Yeah. And they'll blame the government for that. Yeah. And Leon's like, no, this isn't how it works. But the reason why, it, you know, this isn't how it works is because Leon doesn't want anyone to know even though the government fucked up majorly, he's like, yeah, but got to respect the uh, office of the presidency while I'm still in the White House. I get what you're saying. It, it, I did enjoy the the conflict between our two favourite characters because, again, we love Leon and Claire and we don't want them to not like each other. And you know, there's certainly something to be said about taking a fan favourite character like Leon and making him not seem squeaky clean. But I just didn't get any sort of sense of why he was doing this. I mean, for example, the character Judge Dredd in the film Dredd, he's like, he is the face of the law. And you know when he like, he has just no give at all because that is his character. And any sort of character development for him is sort of glacial. But Leon... I just guess I always pictured him as someone who is for truth and justice, I suppose. And him mumbling to himself out of earshot of Claire, I'm going to bring this down, made him seem just a little bit of a, of a dick. I don't yeah, know. you've changed, man. <laughs> Anyways, about the check. Do you have it? I thought you called because you wanted to grab dinner. I want to make a copy of it and give it to all the newspapers. This thing's going to blow up big time. I can't. What? So that's how it's going to be. You do things your way, and I do things mine. Okay. Fine. Like I said before, that outfit doesn't suit you. I'll stop this. It's weird because earlier on in Infinite Darkness, he's kind of like explaining Raccoon City and how it was a big government cover-up. Yeah. And it's a bit like, yeah, so obviously you'll side with me, won't you, says Jason. And he's a bit like, nah. <laughs> Maybe he was just an election. It was a different president. 
I mean, I'm, it would definitely be a different precedent. I don't think for a minute. But yeah, I still ended episode two. They have a sort of gunfight where Jason is shot in the heart and he's definitely dead. And Shen Mei runs away. I was just a little bit confused by who wanted what and why and what was going on, but not in an intriguing way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially, as we said, we have these sort of kind of confusing flashbacks. But like I said, when episode three starts, uh, Shen Mei is at this big um, mansion and we meet um, her. It is her brother, right? Who's the zombie. Yeah. It's her, it's her grandfather who's looking after um, her brother. And turns out that Shen Mei was, I think, working the control room during the big Civil War op with the Mad Dogs in it. So she's kind of already aware of what's going on with them. Is this where we have the rather neat flashback with the soldiers being attacked by zombies and you have lots of strobe lights because of the machine mm. gun fire? That was yeah. the most visually interesting bit of the film, I thought. Properly yeah, scary. Yeah, as long as you don't have epilepsy. <laughs> no. No, I didn't. I do not. But I think I, I think though the scariest bit in the whole show for me was I was watching this with subtitles, and in that very sequence you're talking about, the subtitles flashed up dogs barking outside. As soon as those subtitles flashed up, dogs were barking outside my window. <laughs> it was like real 3D experience. Yeah, but I watched this as subtitles, and by golly, these were the most non-stop subtitles it was like heels clacking people exhaling people humming with wonder people humming uh, in affirmation we're all about accessibility though harry aren't we i know but it was it was, it was so funny sometimes hard of hearing subtitles are too hard of hearing subtitles i guess so i just thought it was funny when like a giant bridge fell into a sea of acid and the subtitle said "giant splash," and like I, I get, I get that. I get it. I, I could expect what that would sound like. But yeah, the that mansion after this sort of exposition dump, and, and like I said, it's it's more horrific because there's a zombie attack. There's the horror of Shen Mei discovering that her brother is neither alive nor dead. There's the sorrow and tragedy of the grandfather, who's very rich, but he's put all his money into research and how to get his son back and you know there's leon probably thinking i've got a cure for him and he like loads his gun <laughs> um but then everything explodes <laughs> the entire mansion gets burnt to the ground and i don't know why <laughs> i don't i don't know why and then like the next morning they're this whole sequence this whole arrival uh shen mei does it's at night so like at the most, at the very most, I would say it's been like eight hours and the entire mansion is like a crater, not any fire at all. And I was just thinking, bloody hell. <laughs> it's like, that's not how buildings burn. They would still be burning. Also, Leon just says this was Jason. And I was really confused because I had somehow not picked up that Jason was like an immortal zombie but somehow leon knew himself yeah it made more sense on second viewing is all i can say but only a little bit <laughs> only, only a teeny tiny bit 
I don't know why I don't know why Jason would blow up if if it was Jason who wanted to blow up this house with Leon and his previous compatriot Shen Mei inside he still didn't stay long enough to see if anyone escaped because that's precisely what happens minutes later uh, Leon and Shen Mei Leon like rescues Shen Mei I think goes unconscious conveniently and then wakes up like moments later it rather seemed like she just wanted to be lifted out in Leon's big strong arms <laughs> well he he had to get to um the uh airbase for the press conference in time i know yeah and like this is i mean like time is really compressed here like, i don't know how you i mean this is the sort of boring nitty gritty the film shouldn't really concentrate on but i'm still wondering how considering leon jason and shen may sort of traveled here in a secret submarine they were also quite easy they were quite conveniently able to travel back to america with no problem well and... i think it i think the press conference was taking place in an airbase yes see i thought not it was, in america i thought it was taking place under the white house for an extended period of time <laughs> and i thought wow yeah, that'd be a... how much acid do they usually keep under the white house <laughs> not enough <laughs> yeah didn't didn't reach i mean that yeah the big sterilization as they hit the, st- the sterilization button or something detects there's a bioweapon in there, but the sea of acid only goes halfway up. So someone should have got slapped on the wrist for that. <laughs> well, the little capsules like pop off and fall into the acid bath as a big purge. So it'll get round to them eventually. Capsules with people inside to be turned into monsters. Look, I made a Dracula. <laughs> We've talked a little bit around it, but you know, with all these flashbacks about this conflict and I, I think like particularly in games like Resident Evil 5 which was inspired quite a bit by Black Hawk Down I think the director mentioned specifically and Resident Evil 6 you get like a bit more kind of like military style operation etc these all kind of flashbacks taking place within this conflict we do have to talk about the name of this territory yeah <laughs> <laughs> because like I, I think Resident Evil as the the spread of it has gotten wider and we all know Raccoon City is a pretty weird name for a place anyway but they've also like had to create like fake names for countries you know where conflicts take place because you know you don't want to get into a Kazakhstan situation and insult a whole nation just because you've got a funny character with a moustache but every time they said Panamstan Panam Stan. I think there's a bit where Jason repeats that a few times and like he's having he's having like a real emotional moment talking about his nightmare encounter in <sighs> Panam Stan. Panam Stan. Oh, it's so bloody awful. It's getting the hero just... of Panam Stan as hero well. Of Panam Stan. You know, it just reminds me of like in The Simpsons when the head of crust in itchy and scratchy studios is like come up with a i don't know poochie but more proactive it's like we need a country which sounds a bit like panama or pakistan i got just the thing (laughs) (laughs) 
Are you a Panam Stan Stan? Oh my goodness. I guess I am a Panam Stan Stan because it's fun to say, but really, yeah, it's pretty, pretty atrocious. And I, though I had forgotten that Raccoon City was not a real place. <laughs> so I guess it's got, a, it is par for the course, but it just feels vaguely insulting, even, you know? It just feels, I mean, you know the bond films do it loads of things do it i'm just i remember the start of um black panther begins with the camera going from space into a portion of the african continent which is where wakanda is i just think about the actual african country and like i guess that's wakanda really i don't know it's it's hard to kind of like come down one way or the other whether a fictitious country name is good or bad or accurate or stupid and i don't know i think it's just one of the you know you could change a letter and it suddenly sounds better but i think it's more just like the fact that they keep on saying it and keep on reminding you that this place is we're meant to take seriously it's called panam stan and it's filled with panam stannies and it's (laughs) (laughs) there's panam stan culture It, it does feel like something that area would be like in the Mario universe, you know, it seems like a cartoon version of a war-torn country. Yeah. And this film is so so self-serious as well. I mean, even the jokes are pretty shit and the, the quips are pretty bad and inappropriate. It's just, it would, I think I could almost give Panam Stam a pass if it was delving into the campsite of Resident Evil a bit more. But, um, as you say, yeah. it's grim and gritty and Black Hawk Down. I d- yeah, I don't know where 50 Cent Blood in the Sand is set, but... Um... <laughs> in his head. <laughs> it seems to be a direct commentary on how America was post 9-11. And it's a very fertile era to talk about if you're talking about American politics. At the same time, you could say it's overdone. At the same time, you could be like, why are we talking about this in a Resident Evil product in 2021 i mean there is a part of me which admires that resident evil is a it has a real moving timeline and it's not sort of ne- all nebulously set in the now it doesn't you know it is this period of resident evil history is 2006 slash present day as it says in the subtitles so that's kind of cool but like i said it just feels a little bit weird when your president isn't george w bush and 9-11 didn't happen i mean i like to think maybe the the, the nuclear destruction of Raccoon city was their 9-11 i feel like now we're going into an infinite darkness and i don't like the look of it <laughs> it just gave me a funny feeling is all they call me the hero of Panam Stan. Some fucking hero. Every night I have the same nightmare about Panam Stan. That day, Panam Stan. That was hell. Yeah. I bet. You have no idea. Look, I can't imagine what it was like for you. But I have been through some shit myself. Raccoon City. 
They sterilized that place. You were there? Yeah. I was just a rookie cop late as hell on his first day. That's why I'm still alive. There were zombies everywhere. I remember people screaming, moaning. They get bit and then they turn. It was terrifying. There's no way to describe it except. Yeah. You can obviously create a fictional universe, which, you know, real life events haven't happened, but you can still commentate on those. And one could argue that, you know, Resident Evil from the get go has had something to say about the power of, you know, big corporations and companies and how paying up local governments or whatever to hush hush work that's been going on like in resident evil 2 with like you know chief irons and the you know umbrella you know and that kind of stuff but that sort of like comes a point where it's just like yeah you can have this commentary but like maybe and maybe that's like the point like they have this kind of commentary but like they don't make a kind of political issue out of it because they just don't understand the politics um so it's like they make up the politics so we don't have to comment on real life stuff. But then it's just kind of like, it's too waffly. It's too messy. It's, it's, it's too much when really they should just be creeping around a spooky house and God, finding my kingdom, for a spooky, just my kingdom for a spooky house. <laughs> really, but I mean, you mentioned I mean, how old is the resident evil franchise now? Something like 30 years old. It's just, 25, it's celebrating its 25th anniversary this yeah, year. Yeah, and there are people like, who've never seen, never weren't there at the start. And I'm not saying that in a gatekeeping way. I'm actually saying it in a sort of prequel trilogy of the Star Wars kind of way, where there's just people where their Star Wars was the prequels. And I'm sure there are people where their Resident Evil has always been like indiscriminate monsters and lots of heavy machine guns. But there's just a little part of me which just misses like the dry mouth panic of having two bullets left and no save ribbon <laughs> and yeah still not getting that in the resident evil extended media yeah but i mean to 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 an extent you could say that like resident evil 2 remake and resident evil 3 remake games and you know even resident evil 7 and and to an extent 8 like you know still hop back to to those elements again and it's weird because you know resident evil 4 is maybe my favorite of the series and everyone will say like oh it's not like true resident evil oh it's too action led and stuff and it's just like yeah but you know it's it was it was clearly like the kind of the perfect balance of those elements this did make me want to delve back and play resident evil 4 again so that's probably what i'm gonna do after this recording so it did something. <laughs> um, do you have anything else to say about Resident Evil Infinite Darkness? In terms of the structure of the series, and I think, you know, again, this this points back to, like, why a series and not a movie. And I think, in a way, it is, it is stronger for 
it that it is split up into episodes. I watched it in two chunks. I watched episodes one and two, and then three and four on consecutive nights. And in an in extent, it, it does sort of therefore emulate stages of a game. You know, they're like missions. It has game structure as a result. And particularly, you know, the Resident Evil Revelations uh, 2 game, that was released episodically as well. And that's treated almost like a TV show. It has previously on recaps and, and that kind of stuff. So it's 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 mirroring games, games mirroring episodic content, etc. And I think you know, if it had all been one film straight up, I think it would have been like pretty tough to get through. Having it kind of pieced out helped quite a bit. And I think as well, just the, the way it it's structured and, and how it kind of naturally climaxes, much like the games in an underground secret lab, in someone mutating into a giant monster with a throbbing heart and yeah, the chest. Leon looks left and there happens to be a bazooka there. So, oh, that's yeah. always a bazooka when you need one in Resident Evil. And uh, yeah, like it, it, it sort of obviously plays out that way. Although I did, I did think it was funny when Tyrant Jason sort of falls into the acid. You think, and then like, like this bubbly melty torso wakes up, yeah. like impaled on a big spike, and lets out his catchphrase. All about spreading fear, and then it's people bit, will know. Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell from Austin Powers, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I am very badly burned. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that adds an extra uh, little wrinkle there, and also like that whole sequence when Leon is saving Claire. It is a bit like ah, the floor is acid. Um, yeah, yeah. It you know it's it's to be expected. It mirrors the games in that respect, and you, you get a little nod of Tricell at the end, who's this pharmaceutical yeah. company, Wilson's in lead with, which is the pharmaceutical company in Resident Evil Five, which Thank I think you, turns Resident out to Evil be Wiki. secret secret that. umbrella in the end. Probably, just, yeah. I'm getting very confused. Even playing umbrellas like... within umbrellas within umbrellas, which is how the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's how umbrellas work very unusual umbrella (laughs) Um, i i really like the music that sounds like i'm trying i'm struggling at nice things to say but i I thought the theme was good and i guess like with a lot of the films we we do perhaps if it's failing on cinematography and performance fronts then the music can sometimes save something for me um i I liked at the start when Claire sees a drawing by this this kid who's mute who observed the zombie attack in 2000. And like, is has he been drawing zombies all day, every day? Or like, could she have quite easily opened up his book and found a picture of trains? <laughs> and she would have been like, huh, trains. Leon, take a look at this. Does, it look, does that look like Thomas the Tank Engine to you? Huh. Hmm. <laughs> I go back to my original point. I there's so much Resi content out there. This probably has something for the fans who like want their Resident Evil in canon as opposed to the live action films. But it's just a whole lot of nothing really. I would just recommend playing the game in this instance. Just picking your favorite Resi game and, and giving that a blast. Yeah, I, I think I probably liked it a little more than you. Um, but I think that's 
more down to me having played more Resident Evil games, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those things where it 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 doesn't really do anything new or different. It's like, oh, here's another tale which is not strong enough for a game. It it it's it's maybe we can squeeze out ninety minutes or so of content with this tale and give fans a little bit of extra Leon and Claire. Uh, what did they get up to in 2006? I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> oh, and what about 2008? What was then? It's like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, but uh, that does again. I've said this before. I just think about the meetings where they where they're working on the plot, and like, oh, we're making a Resident Evil TV show. We've got such an amount of budget for the CGI. What story can we tell? And it's like I'm watching and thinking this story really <laughs> this one and I th- but i think that sort of speaks to just like in general when we we have these adaptations is you know how close do you skew to the original source material obviously you know as we say with the paul ws anderson uh movies like it went in one direction and i did not like that at first but i've come to appreciate that and now actually it's probably for the best that it went that way same with this new resident evil live action netflix series with you know western's children and this new raccoon city approach whatever that might entail again it's like people can argue well why do we why even call it resident evil if it's not got this and that and the other anymore and it's just like well you know use it as a jumping off point and do something different because that's actually something that's you know, it's sighting in of itself. So I think this doesn't do enough new, but then it, it also isn't kind of good enough to be like it's sighting in of itself necessarily. So worse ways to spend your time. I was going to say it's two hours of your time, isn't it really? So worse ways to spend your time as a Resident Evil fan, because you could be playing, I don't know, Resident Evil Gaiden. <laughs> I mean, you could be going to see you could be going to see uh, Space Jam Two, like I did, and that's two hours long for some reason. <laughs> so, I think I would I can categorically say I preferred watching this to Space Jam: A New Legacy. That's something wow. for the for the posters <laughs> <laughs> on the sliding scale. I know that's where Infinite Darkness comes. Yeah. So this has been your sixth monthly check-in with the Resident Evil cinematic universe, and uh, we might do another CGI one. It just depends really how soon it is until the Welcome to Raccoon City film, which I believe has just wrapped production. But in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with games on film? You can find more information about Resident Evil video game movies and other video game movies. We don't just cover Resident Evil on this podcast. Feels like it. Seems like it, yeah. Uh, on our website, gamesonfilm.witchsite.com slash podcast. You can find all episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts. So do please like, rate, review, share, and subscribe where possible. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter and Instagram at games on film pod and you can contact us games on film pod at gmail.com you can also support the show via links through our website and the music for this episode was composed by david lightfoot harry would you like to share your credentials 
You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at OnlyManWhoCan. Don't often talk about my Instagram, but <laughs> it's there. Mostly Star Trek reviews. Because that's, <laughs> what, that's what people do on Instagram. They take photos of her f- food and share photos of Captain Picard, <laughs> who's a tasty dish. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that's what you're here for. Moving on. What are your credentials? No argument with that. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. So um, I'm glad we did this. <laughs> and I'm sure, sure Capcom said the same thing. Yeah. They looked at their, their budget, all that Netflix money, thinking, yes, yes. Yes, let's make more Resident Evil products. Infinite Darkness felt like the sort of thing you'd make in order to retain the rights, but Capcom own the rights, so I don't know why it even exists. It's like all those Hellraiser sequels, which weren't Hellraiser sequels until they got a horror script and shoved Pinhead at the end. And who goes, it me! (laughs) Um, It's a Hellraiser movie now! It's a Hellraiser movie now! Um, again, his famous catchphrase. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I'm now just going to spend the rest of my evening thinking of completely unrelated films, and then they open the door, and Pinhead is like hiding in the cupboard and does jazz hands and goes, "It's a Hellraiser movie now." <laughs> I mean, this that would have been a turn up for the books, like wait, with like actual hell existed in Resident Evil. But no, it's a bit more grounded, isn't it? With your... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Barely. Barely grounded. Great. All right. Well, see you next time. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.